Hello and <coughs> welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 10th. So if you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two segments. <coughs> we have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. <coughs> so our verse for June <coughs> the 10th comes from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 10. Which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, <coughs> creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what, what, what do we see here? What do we see here? So we become Christians through God's unmerited favor, which is what grace is. <coughs> not as a result of any effort, any not not a result of any effort or ability of an intelligent choice. Or an act of service on our part. <coughs> However, out of gratitude for this free gift, we will seek to help and serve others with kindness, love, and gentleness, and not merely to please ourselves. So, while no action or work, we can we. You can help obtain <coughs> salvation. God's intention is that our salvation will result in acts of service. So what are we saying here? We're saying we are not saved merely for our own benefit, but to serve Christ and build up the church. So we then are God's masterpiece. So when we say God's masterpiece, which is what verse 10 says, our handiwork, right? So that would be his work of art, or his workmanship. And our salvation is something only God can do. It is, it is powerful, creative work in us. So what we must remember, what we must truly understand, is that if God considers us his masterpieces, we dare not treat ourselves or others with disrespect or as inferior works. So your Bible readings for June the 10th <coughs> are 1 Kings chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verses 30 through 50, Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6, and Proverbs 16, 31 through 33. So that then concludes our verse of the day segment for June the 10th. We are now going to move in to or through the Bible in one year segment for June the 10th. So again, just a brief reminder, if you have missed any of these segments, the BR verse of the day segment, or the Bible in one year segment, or anything else that you may wish to get to know a little bit better, you can get caught up with all of that by visiting upstatechristian.com. <coughs>
Again, that is upstatechristian.com. So we're now in today 160 of Arthur the Bible in one year segment. So we're still in John chapter 14. So we're going to be in John chapter 14 for a little while still. So we our focus is going to be on three verses. John 14 verses 5 through 7. So what we saw yesterday, what we saw on June the 9th, was Jesus' opening words of comfort to his disciples. And then we also saw and learned that Jesus gave five reasons why it was better for him to depart than to remain here on earth with his disciples. So we also saw the first of these five reasons why this is true yesterday, which is because Jesus is going to, which is because, excuse me, Jesus is going to prepare a better place for us. And so today we're going to see, see, we're going to be dealing with the second reason why this is true. And the second reason is that Jesus is showing us the way to the Father. And what we're going to see is that these three short verses that we probably all know already, if you have spent any time around the church, or if you have been involved with any type of Christian organization whatsoever, then you will probably know these three verses that we're going to talk about. And the reason why you're going to know that is because they are probably the important verses that you will read throughout the whole Bible that includes both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because they sum up the truth of the gospel message. So here we go, starting in John chapter 14, verse 5, we're, we're going to go through verse 7. Once we are done reading it, then we're going to discuss it. Alright, so here's what it says, starting in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Because remember, in the previous section, Jesus had finished up saying, you know, the way to the place where I am going. So this is uh, Thomas's response to Jesus saying, you know the way to where I am going. So now pick up in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. So what we see here is that Jesus' statement that they knew the way to where he was going perplexed Thomas. And we see that Jesus responded to Thomas's question, which was really more of a doubt than anything else, with his sixth I am statement, which is where which is the one where Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. <coughs> so Jesus' words strike a note of exclusivity, and we're gonna talk about that in great detail while it is exclusive to the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It is inclusive in that it is open and available to everyone. But we're going to talk about that more in detail once we get through all of the rest of the stuff we have to get through first. So Jesus is the only way to God, because ultimate truth resides in Him. For you see, Jesus taught the truth, He lived the truth, and He revealed 
the one true God. And furthermore, Jesus is the life. So we see that life has been associated with Jesus throughout John's Gospel. So what do we mean by that? So, Jesus has always been associated with the life, or with life, throughout John's Gospel. We've already seen that. I hope that has become very, very obvious to you, is that Jesus has been associated with the life, or with life throughout John's Gospel. And to truly know Jesus is to have eternal life. And to know Jesus is to know God the Father. So now let's take a really, really deeper look. Three things that Jesus said that he is. Remember, he said he is the way. He said he is the truth. And he is the life. So the first one we're going to look at is the way. So Jesus is not simply one among many ways. That's why he used the definite article, the, and not the indefinite article, a. He did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way to God the Father. So no one other than God perfect son could have paid the full price for our offenses against God and opened the way for a renewed relationship with him. So we also have to pay attention to what we also have to know is that in the early days of the church, Christianity was sometimes referred to as the way. Why? Because the early followers of Christ really, really got this point down right. The only way to get to the Father was through Jesus. And to emphasize that, they started to call themselves the way. Understand that. Understand that. So this is because they recognized that Jesus provided the only way um, out of a life of spiritual darkness, lostness, and slavery to sin, guilt, and condemnation. Right? <coughs> so in doing so, Jesus provided the only way for us to find our highest purpose and fulfillment in life, and to receive an eternal reward in heaven. So yes, we have to understand, right, so this is this idea has never been popular, right? Because it sounds like it is excluding a whole bunch of people. It's excluding a whole bunch of things. And it is excluding a whole bunch of things. But it is inclusive, remember, because it is open, free and open to everybody on the earth, not just a select group of people, not just a handful of people that God may choose to make it available to. It is open and freely available to everybody who chooses to follow the way to God. So one is never popular, and it's certainly not popular today, to claim there is only one way to God. But that is the reality according to Jesus' own words. That there is only one way to God. So there is no other way to have a relationship with the true God. With the one true God. Except through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, the way that Jesus said he was. He also said he is the truth. Again, again, Jesus is not just part of the truth, but the whole truth. Again, he didn't use the indefinite article, A. He didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. The only truth. Not a part of the truth, but the truth in whole. 
as the living word, right, as we saw in John chapter 1, everything about Christ and his message is true. His truth is absolute and universal. <clears throat> so the fact that supreme truth is revealed through Christ is again a key theme that we have seen throughout John's Gospel, and we're going to see it continue throughout John's Gospel. And so the third thing that Jesus said that he is, as he said, he is the life. Again, notice the use of the definite article and not the indefinite article, A. Right? So understand that he didn't say, I am a life. He said, I am the life. So, what are, we, what are we talking about there, right? So, what Jesus is saying is that true and lasting spiritual life is only available through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So, Jesus' perfect life provided the only permanent and enduring sacrifice for our sin against God. And those who accept his life and sacrifice for themselves. Which means willingly yielding their lives to his leadership. Receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Christ. So I remember, remember how we talked about this was exclusive but yet inclusive, right? So now let's deal with that burning question that should have come up throughout this whole discussion. And that is, why does God seem to be so exclusive? And more importantly, wouldn't a loving God offer more than one way to get to Him? Or in church words, to be saved and therefore gain eternal life. So to help answer those burning questions that have plagued our thoughts from the moment Jesus spoke those words some 2,000 years ago, <clears throat> we need to know five fixed biblical teachings. So the first one is that not everyone will be saved. So we need to understand that not everyone will make it to heaven. You say, well, hold on, how do we know that? How do we know that, right? So let's look at a few passages of scripture to see that. So we're gonna first look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Which says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus is talking about salvation there. He's saying, the narrow gate, says enter the narrow gate, which has come through me, because for the for wide is the gate is brought out the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So that's the world's idea. That the way to God is, there are multiple ways to get to God. There are multiple ways to be, quote-unquote, saved, and to get to heaven, or paradise, whichever term <coughs> the world wants to use. But we also say that this is what is small as the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So again, Jesus is saying, just like he said here in John chapter 14, narrow is the way. There's only one way to get to God, and it's through me. And if you take the broad or wide road, you're not gonna get to God. So the second passage is also in Matthew's Gospel, it's Matthew 25, verse 41. 25, verse 40. 
one, which says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So what is he talking about there? So we're talking, Jesus is talking about separating out the sheep and the goats. So he separated out those who were righteous and those unrighteous at this throne judgment. It was going to happen when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. That's what we read in Matthew 25, verse 31. So again, Jesus is saying, not everybody is going to be saved. It's only going to be those who have chosen to follow me. So that is followed up, is followed up by him saying in verse 46 of the same chapter, then they will go away and enter eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. So those that have chosen to take the wide road will get exactly what they chose which is eternal separation from God. So that's uh, the next passage we're going to look at comes from 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. 1 verses 6 to 9, which says God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This, this will happen when, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will be punished with lasting destruction and shut out from the presence excuse me of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So again we see that the Bible is teaching us that not everyone will be saved. This is exclusive only to those who choose to follow the right path to God. So the uh, next one is going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. This is what it says. If we deliberately keep on sinning, if we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished, punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So once again we see that the Bible is still teaching that not everyone will be saved. So the last one is going to come from the book of Revelation. It's going to come from Revelation 20, verses 10 through 15. Revelation 20, verses 10 through 15. 
Here's what that says. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. As recorded in the books, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what further proof do we need that only those that have chosen to go through Jesus will be saved? And that not everyone will be saved. So that's the first fixed biblical teaching. The second fixed biblical teaching is that people will be judged by their work. People will be judged by their work. So God does not condemn people who never heard of Jesus because they failed to believe him. Rather, God judges all people based on their works. So the proof of that can be found in Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 62, verse 12, Psalm 62, verse 12, Matthew 16, 27, Romans 2, 6, and Revelation 2, 23, and 20, 13. Right, that's the one we just read that said in the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. So we need to understand that people who trust in Jesus are mercifully saved from God's just judgment by Jesus' death on their behalf. Hmm. So now let's come to the third fixed biblical teaching, right? So we already said we're going to be judged based on our works. We've already said not everyone will be saved. So now we're going to see that none of us can be saved by doing good works. So how do we know that's the case? Right, so, we gotta so we're going to turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 20 and 23, which says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. So who is the his? That's God's sight. By the works of the law. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we see two important conclusions that follow from this. First is God is not obliged to save anyone. For no sinner deserves eternal life. The second conclusion is everyone needs a savior. So that's the th uh, the third fixed biblical teaching or truth. The fourth one is that Jesus is the only savior available. Right. So by saying that we're saying that only Jesus died to save us from our sins. We see evidence of that Matthew one twenty one and first Corinthians fifteen three and first Timothy one fifteen second Timothy and second Timothy one nine through ten. That is why Jesus is the Savior of the world, as we see recorded in John chapter four, verse forty forty two. 
This one just claimed to be the only way. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, verse 6. And we see that Peter agreed with Jesus' statement when he gave that great keynote address on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Right? So Acts chapter 4, verse 12. What are we talking about there, right? So Jesus gives, well, Peter gives this great keynote address on the day of Pentecost, right? Excuse me, that's not, uh, that's not on the day of Pentecost. Excuse me, I got that one wrong. Pay no attention to that. So this is what Jesus, this, this is what Peter said when he appealed, this is what Peter said when he and John were pulled before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish High Council, right? They had healed a man who had been born lame and begging, right? So here's what he said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So that's the fourth fixed biblical truth is that Jesus is the only savior available. And the fifth and final biblical truth is that those who reject Jesus will be lost. So whatever may be said about those who have never heard the gospel, those who have heard it and rejected it and rejected it are in trouble. Jesus warned that those who reject him are rejecting the Father. You may see that in Luke 10 verse 16 in John chapter 12 verse 48. And we finally see people who know that Christ died for them but refuse to follow him, face a terrible judgment. And we already saw that when we read that passage in Hebrews chapter 10, right? So now, let's ask this one last final question. So does that mean that no one who has not heard of Jesus can be saved? And the answer to that question is not quite, that's not quite a true statement to say. That's not quite a true statement to say. Why? Because we know that the Old Testament believers were saved by trusting in God's mercy. Even though they lived before Jesus came. And so we see evidence of that in Paul's letter to the Roman church in chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 32, which is the Faith Hall of Fame. So how else do we know that this statement is not quite true? Because you see the unborn, right, the infants, young children, and those whose development is impaired are not capable of discerning good from evil or making moral choices. In other words, their minds don't grasp. They are sinners. They are still completely innocent. So they can't reject Jesus because they don't know what they they're not capable of understanding good and evil. They're not capable of making moral choices. So we may presume that God does not condemn these souls, even though they do not consciously choose to follow Jesus. But what we have to understand, what we really, really and truly have to understand that apart from these exceptions, it is clear that Jesus has commanded to take the gospel to all nations, which is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, and also in Luke chapter 24, verse 47. 
assumes that people who do know Christ as their Savior are in the spiritual darkness. We need to hear and embrace the gospel. <coughs> so then the answer to our question that we asked at the very beginning of this kind of long excuse me, and convoluted discussion about all of this is about Jesus being the only way to God is a resounding yes. But the answer to whether this makes Christianity exclusive and not inclusive depends wholly on your perspective. Because if you view this through the world's perspective, then yes, it is exclusive. Because yes, it does say there is only one way to get to God. And if you don't get to God that way, you don't get to God. To the world's view that is exclusive. Why? Because it's excluding so many. It's saying you can't choose your own way to get to God. You can't choose to come to God. You can't choose however you want to come to God. In other words, the world wants to believe that every person of every religion will have an opportunity to enter into heaven because a loving God would not condemn people straight to hell. And we already know that a loving God does not condemn people straight to hell. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for human beings. The only reason you go to hell when you die is because you chose to go to hell when you die. But, but if you view this, all of this information, from the perspective of a loving and caring God, then it is not in any way, shape, or form exclusive. Why? Why, if you view this from the perspective of a loving and caring God, is it not in any way, shape, or form exclusive? Simply because the pathway to God eternal life was open to anyone and everyone who chooses to take it. But you have to choose to take it. Because God is a gentleman who does not force anyone to do what they do not want to do. And that's the difference, right? That's what makes it inclusive and not exclusive. Because you see, exclusive says you didn't take the right pathway, so you're condemned forever. God says you chose to not take the way to me, but until you tell your life ends, you have a chance to take it. Because you see, I'm not going to force you to take it. I'm going to leave the choice to you. You can choose to go your own way, and then later in life you can choose to come to me. Or you can choose early on to come to me, but the choice is yours. So in conclusion, Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the only truth, and Jesus is the only life. But you must make a choice as to whether or not you choose to accept these undeniable facts. And they are undeniable. You cannot argue that Jesus is not the way to God. You cannot argue that Jesus is the truth. You cannot argue that Jesus is not the life. You cannot argue that Jesus is only part of the truth. You cannot argue and win it that Jesus is a way and not the only way. You cannot argue and win it that Jesus is a life and not the life and win it. And we will pick up from there tomorrow when we continue through John chapter 14. And in order to be prepared for that, you need to read 1 Kings chapter 8, 
Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through Acts chapter 8, verse 13. You need to read Psalm 129, verses 01 through 8, and Proverbs 17, verse 1. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 11th. So if you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have our Through the Bible in One Year segment, and we have our Verse of the Day segment. So our verse for June the 11th comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Which says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So what are we talking about here? What is God talking about here? What is Isaiah talking about here? So what Isaiah is saying is that when you go through rivers of difficulty, you got two choices. It will either cause you to do two things. It will cause you to drown, or it will force you to go stronger. In other words, you have two choices. You can sink or you can swim. And the choice is yours. But you have to remember, if you go in your own strength, you're more likely to drown than you are to swim. Why? Why are you more likely to drown? Because you don't have the strength, just as I don't have the strength to go through the difficulties of life by myself. I have to go through the difficulties of life looking to the one who has already gone through every difficulty, who has been tried and tempted in every way possible that we could ever be tempted in and yet did not sin. So we have to turn and look to him to be the one that will guide us and direct us. But if you invite the Lord to go with you, he will protect you. Why will God protect you? Because you have turned and said to God, Yes, I'm going through this difficult time. Yes, I don't understand it. Yes, I know this may cause me to drown. But I know that if I go with you, that I won't drown. I will grow stronger. And when I say grow stronger, I mean you'll be better prepared for the things that life will throw at you. You'll become a better follower of God because you have, you will have seen that God provides for you in your times of trouble when nobody else can. And so are Bible readings for June the 12th are again 1st Kings chapter 8, Acts chapter 7 verse 51 through 8, chapter 8 verse 13, Psalm 129 1 through 8, and Proverbs 17 1. So that concludes our verse of the day for June the 11th. We're now going to move into day 161 of our Through the Bible in One Year. So if you will recall, we are in John chapter 14. We have been in John chapter 14 for two days. So we're going to be in John chapter 14 for two more days. So... Our focus for today is going to be on John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. So again, if you need to get caught up with anything, you can get caught up 
by visiting upstatechristian.com. So, so far, we have seen two of the five reasons that that Jesus' departure was to his disciples' advantage. So the first reason we saw was that Jesus was going to prepare a better place for his disciples and for us. And the second reason we saw was that Jesus was showing them, including us, the way to the Father. And we talked about that in great, great detail yesterday. So in today's passage, we see reasons three and four, which Jesus combined because they go hand in hand. You see, Jesus dealt with the first two reasons separately because they need to be dealt with separately. He deals with reasons three and four together because they can be combined because they go hand in hand. So the two reasons that we see uh, today are to provide greater intimacy and relationship with the Father and to enable his disciples to do greater works. And that includes us. So now we're going to pick up in John chapter uh, John chapter 14, verse 8. We're going to go through verse 14. So here is what that says. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So we see Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, and he likely thought that a theophany, which is a visible manifestation to humankind of God, like we saw that happen with Abraham in Genesis 18.1, or Moses <coughs> in Exodus 3.6, which by the way is the burning bush, right? Like Moses and Abraham had experienced. So there's a, what the disciples fail to understand is that Jesus perfectly reveals the Father by both his words and his deeds. So Philip's lack of perception demonstrates a lack of faith in the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. So we also say that Philip's misunderstanding earned a slight rebuke from Jesus. So in other words, what Jesus is telling Philip in that long middle passage is that if Jesus' words were too difficult for him to believe, then he should believe Jesus' works, because his works are much simpler than his words. So in fact, his departure to the Father would enable the disciples to perform greater works than he performed. So let's keep an open mind on that for just a little bit, because when we get done going through all of this, we're going to deal 
the statement is somewhat surprising when one considers the amazing signs that Jesus performed throughout this gospel. So in other words, the question that the disciples are then asking is, how can we do greater works? So these greater works probably refer to the spread of the gospel throughout the world, bringing salvation to those outside the land of Israel, and these works will be accomplished by prayer. So again, we're going to deal with this in greater, greater detail. We just got to get to a little bit more, and then we're going to really, really explore these. So to pray in Jesus' name is to make requests that correspond to Jesus' character and will. So now let's take a closer look at the last three verses of this section, so that would be verses 12 through 14. And so we're going to start with verse 12, which says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than means, because I am going to the Father. So it is des- it is Jesus' desire that his followers, and that includes us, continue to do the works he did. And so we see two very big things in this verse about the greater things we will do. So the first thing is that the greater things include spreading Jesus' message, leading people to faith in Christ, and performing miracles as Jesus did. So what are we talking about here? So how is this shown? How do we know this is true? So we see this throughout the book of Acts, Right, which you have should have already been reading, and you've already seen that yes, the his disciples did do greater things because all of a sudden, now all the people that were disbelieving Jesus walked the earth. Now all of a sudden, they're believing because they've seen the change that has happened to Jesus' disciples. They've seen that something has different about these dudes now, and they want part of what has made these dudes different. We also see it in Jesus' declaration in Mark 16, verses 17 through 18. So what are we talking about there? Hmm. Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. So what is that? Ah, that is, this is what that says. Right? And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place hands on sick people, and they will get well. And you see, Jesus' disciples did all of those things, and much, much more, as we saw, as we have already seen part of that in just our short readings in the book of Acts. Hopefully you've been reading along. If you ain't, I'm going to encourage you to do so. Because there's all sorts of good things you're going to see in the book of Acts. So, through Jesus' followers, an even greater number of people would come to Christ. And they would receive new life. They would receive healing. And they would receive supernatural help. So the second thing we see is that the greater things that Jesus is talking about would not happen because of the disciples' own efforts or their own spirituality. So their work would still be Jesus' work, 
done only in the power of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus would send once, excuse me, once he returned to his Father. So we're going to talk a whole lot more about the Holy Spirit tomorrow. So don't, don't worry about that, because we're going to get to that tomorrow. You're going to learn all you could ever possibly want to know about the Holy Spirit tomorrow. And oh, by the way, if you really want to know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit right now, you can read about it in the post that I have tagged the Holy Spirit. Search for the Holy Spirit at UpstateChristian.com and you'll find some really good stuff about the Holy Spirit. I promise you that. So their work with stupid Jesus' work done only in the power of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus would send once he returned to his Father. So they've got that. So Jesus' followers could then pray in his name, and God would respond in powerful ways through his Spirit. And as a result, the disciples' works, that includes ours, will be greater in number and scope as Christ's message and his power continue to reach people throughout the world. So now let's turn our attention to the last two verses in this section, which are verses 13 and 14, which say, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So what does this mean? So when we say asking for something in Jesus' name, it means being completely aware of who he is, what he is capable of doing, and what his purposes are. It means acting as Jesus' representative with his power and with his authority. It involves giving him honor and following his purposes in all we do. For this reason, our prayers in Jesus' name must be done in this way must include these things, right? So they must reflect Jesus' character and be consistent with his desires and his purposes. That's the first thing. The second thing is they must demonstrate faith in him and his authority. And the third and final thing is that they must reveal a sincere desire to honor both the Father and the Son. Because it doesn't do any good to just honor the Father, not honor the Son. It don't do no good to just honor the Son and not honor the Father. Because you see, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. They make up the Trinity. And they work together. They don't work separately and independently of each other. As you see, the Spirit points towards the Son, and the Spirit points you towards the Father, and the Father points you towards the Son, and towards the Spirit. See what I'm saying? They all work together to accomplish the exact same purpose. So what we see is that prayers offered with this attitude, and this awareness will build faith, and provide peace, that God is in control, and that he will do what is best for us. And Jesus will answer any prayer that he would have prayed himself. In other words, what I'm saying is that he will answer any, any prayer that is perfectly in line with his purposes. Key word there is his purposes, not our purposes. That's thing we gotta understand. That's the thing we have to get through our thick skulls. Is that it's gotta all be about his purposes and not our purposes. Cause as soon as we start to make it about our purposes, 
That's when things start to go downhill. That's when we cease doing the greater things that we can and that we will do if we are focused on doing God's purposes and not our purposes. So we have to understand there's no limit to the power of prayer when it is addressed to Jesus or addressed to the Father with sincere faith and according to His desires. And so we will pick up from here tomorrow as we discuss Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. So come back tomorrow because you're going to really like it when we discuss the Holy Spirit. Again, if you want to know a little bit more ahead of time, so that you can be a little bit more prepared, go and search my, uh, go and search upstatechristian.com for anything dealing with the Holy Spirit. You'll find stuff there that's going to really blow your mind. And so in order for you to be prepared for that, here's what you need to read for tomorrow, which would be June the 12th. You need to read 1 Kings chapter 9 and 10. You need to read cha- uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 40. Psalm 130 verses 1 through 8. And Proverbs 17 verses 2 and 3.